Hi, and welcome back to the Abnormal Christian. Christian. I almost forgot what we were for a minute. So the Abnormal Christian, uh, I am Brad Mason. I'm here with my wonderful wife again, Natasha Mason. Hello. And she says hello. So that hopefully that won't be the only thing we'll get to hear her say in this episode. So this is episode, I don't really know. I think 17. Seven, you're sure it's 17? This is an 18. Uh, I mean, not posted all of them. 16. Yes, this will be episode 17. So we're still pretty, pretty new at this. So, uh, we're losing count. Even at 17, I'm unable to keep track. Um, I think once I get over 20, I'm in trouble because I've only 10 fingers, 10 toes. So this is episode 17. Episode 17 is going to be a little bit different, I think, uh, from some of our previous episodes. Uh, really, this episode is going to be probably called what happened to hell? H-E double hockey sticks. What happened to hell? It's a, it's not a bad word if you're using it in the correct context. And so in this context, we are using, uh, we are actually talking about the place of eternal torment and damnation. So everybody knows what that is, right? I would assume that everyone kind of has heard of hell and everyone is aware of hell. One of the things I'll kind of uh, preface all of the things that I have a lot of notes and things that I don't normally bring, but I wanted to really be kind of a little bit thorough on the subject, uh, more so than I think we are on some of our other podcasts where we just kind of banter back and forth and uh, talk about things. We'll still do that. Our normal rambling. Hopefully, yeah. Yes. And hopefully she'll have some uh, insightful questions and ideas and comments to add to all of these things. So anyway, so uh, let me go back. I'm going to go back and just kind of give a backstory as to why I wanted to bring up this subject. Um, over the weekend, I had um, driven out to Oklahoma, took my kids to Oklahoma uh, to stay for the summer. So they're in <laughs> Oklahoma. And on the way back, I... Typically, I think on Saturday, I listen to about, um, I want to say seven or eight hours worth of sermons off of YouTube. Um, I really enjoy listening to old preachers and old sermons because um, some of the newer stuff just doesn't, uh, it doesn't, I, I don't want to use the term doesn't do it for me because I think um, that's kind of weird, but it doesn't really do it for me. I don't really get it doesn't the, speak to you. No, and I don't feel, I don't feel as impressed by some of the modern, I mean, there's still some, there's some really good pastors and preachers out there that, um, I really enjoy, but then there's some that I just don't seem to get much anything from. So, uh, I, I grew up in the South, um, in the eighties. If you're a, if you're old enough like me, I'm 42. So if you're old enough and you're, you remember, I'm 43. you remember the wonderful eighties, you remember, um, hellfire and brimstone was a huge theme. Um, in a lot of churches and, and a lot of preachers, uh, all over the place, they were preaching about hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. Um, the world, uh, the rock music world, I remember because it was so, um, it was so prevalent on MTV and all these other music things. The world was obsessed at one period with hell. Um, if you think Ozzy Osbourne, ACDC, a lot of the bands that came out of the seventies the and eighties, they were really, um, they really got into what people can considered the church considered satanic music. You know, they used satanic symbolism, playing them records backwards. Right. Stuff. There was, there was, you know, they used six, six, six on their album mm -hmm. covers. They had, uh, they just had all <clears> kinds <throat> of different things that, uh, that were really satanic or, uh, you know, uh, they were satanic in the way that they presented them to the audience. Now, I don't know if it was, I don't know if that was real or if it was just them yeah, trying I don't know to if be it was controversial sure. so they could sell more records. Or... I think there was some shock factor in it. I think that's, that was part of the thing was that they wanted to be shocking when kids bought it or when kids saw it, but that'll all go back. I think, um, the under, the underlying undertone, the message there, um, we'll get into that a little bit about why they even, why those guys even used that symbolism and, and why they did that and what was the theme and what was the idea behind that. But it's, we're not here to really get into the rock and roll stuff. We're really here to talk about hell. It's, it's, 
it's a it's a thing, right? So I listened to a sermon on Saturday um, from Oliver B. Green. If you have an opportunity to listen to him on YouTube, he has a sermon that is from a radio broadcast. It's five radio broadcasts, and it is placed into one audio file. So it's it's the five whole series of hell, and he's talking about hell. And it really got me to thinking because um, I don't think people discuss hell as much as they used to. I don't think the church um, talks about hell. I think... Um, We've talked about worship and praise and all these things on the podcast before, um, but I don't think, I think the church is so, uh, they're so focused on making people feel good that they don't want to broach subjects that would make people feel bad or feel uh, fearful or scared. Yes, or scared or threatened or anything like that. They don't want to, they don't want to bring up subject that's <clears throat> going to make grandma upset and, you know, um, Really, just scare. So I and I, I think that's part of it. I don't think grandma's gonna be scared. No, I don't know. Um, I don't so know she might be. So the real question is, what happened? What happened to hell? Um, we'll get into a little bit of it, but uh, you know, from me to you, what happened to hell? Because when I was in the, when I was in the eighties and I was a kid, I remember the sermons about hell. I remember people preaching about this is the place you're gonna go, and this is a terrible place, and um, you well, know, I remember going to like I don't know if it was like around Halloween, and they had like. Not a not a spooky trail, but it was like a gym or something. They had like rooms, but it was like supposed to like mimic hell and really scary. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember kind of they had thing. like a yeah. It was uh, there was one I think when we were in high school. They called it a hell house, and you went there and they had the different rooms, and it was supposed to scare you about going to hell. You don't believe right? in Jesus. This is where you're going, right? Ah. And I and I think you know. I like the way you did that. <laughs> You're going to hell. You're going to believe it. But it's, it's the reality. I think we, we move, um, I think humans as we, I don't want to say evolve because I don't believe in that, but I think humans as we progress, we think we're getting smarter. We think we're getting more intelligent. We think we're becoming more, um, we're becoming wiser and we don't have these fairy tales. We're, we're thinking God away. And I think a lot of people, and I, I told my friend John today, I said, I think a lot of people look at hell like they look at Harry Potter, right? That mm. in some part of you, you want to believe in magic, right? Just like the Harry Potter. I some part want to believe that, but you know it's not real. So you're just like, oh, it's just a fairy tale. It's imaginary. It's harmless. It's it doesn't matter what Let's it is. Pretend. Yes, exactly. So it's it's acceptable because it's not real. And the problem is, is that there's a, a, a stark contrast and a difference between the actual physical place of hell and what we consider magic and and wizardry. And I mean, there's no. Um, it's real. So we let's talk about hell. And I want to really get into some scripture. And I want to really look at it from the biblical perspective. And I want to kind of try and leave out um, some of the uh, suppositions, some ideas that you might hear in the world. And I'll throw some of those out there. But I want to stick with scripture. And I want to see what does the Bible say about hell? Is it a real place? Does it exist? Um, what are some of the things that people say about it? And what does the Bible say? Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, this, this idea of hell... Um, as a place of torment, as a place of, of misery, um, there has to be something there. It's in it's in the scripture. So is it real or not? What happened to hell? What happened to preaching about hell? What happened to pastors saying that hell is a place of danger? The consequences you know, for your decisions. Right. So um, one of the stories that I read back in the 90s, I think it was uh, H- H&M, H&M Magazine, Hard Music Magazine, it had uh, Alice Cooper in it. And Alice Cooper, you know Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, Alice Cooper had, had had given him an article, and he talked about his conversion. Alice Cooper became a Christian in, I think, the 80s or 90s, right at the end of the 80s, early 90s. And Alice Cooper said he went to an old country church, and he was sitting in the back row, and the preacher was preaching a sermon on hell. And he said he got so scared 
that he could almost feel his feet burning. He said, I felt like I was swinging over the pit of hell. This is how strong that, that sermon that impacted me, that it made me so fearful that I was without God, that I was going to burn in this place of t- fiery torment. And so it motivated, and, and people can say whatever they want. They can say, you know, um, you, you shouldn't scare people into getting saved. But does that negate his salvation? God does what he wants. Did not God use a donkey to talk to Paul? Didn't he scare the living daylights out of him? On, on, I don't, Sometimes you got to get people's attention. Right. So how God and the method that God uses to call people is not for me to determine. It's not up to me to say God shouldn't scare people or God shouldn't use fear or God shouldn't use imagery or God shouldn't use. I have no business in any of that. If God if God were to uh, to make someone, the Holy Spirit fell on somebody and they had that feeling of guilt and remorse and they realized that they're such a sinner and that they are going to hell and they convert because of that because they realize they need Jesus Christ that's exactly what he's supposed to do that's the gospel that is the whole gospel is that Christ came to redeem mankind um, do you have to believe in hell to go to heaven that's that's a question that I think most people would probably not even think about the truth of the matter from what scripture says no it's not a requirement there's no requirement that says you have to believe in hell to go to heaven the, the single requirement in the scripture to go to heaven is to do what Believe in Jesus. Place your faith and your hope and your trust in Yeshua as Messiah, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's that's the that's the goal, is that He came to redeem us to reconcile us unto God. But He reconciled us from something. It's not just to save us from something, right? It's it's not just us out there uh, roaming around and not having a God. It's that we're we're in we're in. We're in a desperate spot to where we're facing something. So I really want to get into um, a little bit of the, a little bit of history with hell. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, I'm not Catholic, and we've talked about Catholicism on the show. And if you listen to Catholicism, or if you're Catholic, um, I appreciate you for listening. And I hope some of this gets to you, and I don't want to, to upset anyone. Um, but for the longest time, and even in the current era, people I hear people often say, the Catholics created hell to control the members of their congregations, right? Um, so mm-hmm. if they could fearfully scare people, people. If they kept people afraid, they would keep coming back and they would keep giving money and they would keep um, doing the sacraments and they would keep on, they would keep on, they would keep the Catholic church alive because their fear is, is if I, if I, um, if I don't give these things and I don't do these things, then I'm in fear of going to hell. And so a lot of people, I've heard it. I've heard, I've had people tell me before the church created hell as a way to keep control. And I think it's the worst way and the worst thing you could ever do to try and control someone through fear. Because eventually it wears off. It doesn't. It, it's going to work at, at, for a while and for a short period. But it's not the way to. A Christ doesn't convert us. We don't follow our God. We don't continue to follow our God from fear. We follow our God because of love. He 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 is the most merciful God there is. He's given His own Son, His own sacrifice. You know we realize that. So we follow Him because of that, not because we're afraid uh, that He's going to be angry with us, or not that we're we're afraid He's going to send us to hell. Uh, but we follow him because he loves us. And so some of the, th- the first things me and you talked about the other day um, is, is I think, to get to the idea of where is hell, we have to get back to the idea or the question, where did sin originate? So where did sin originate? I'm asking you this. <clears throat> with the Satan. Right. Or um, with, no, with God. Uh-huh. No. You're, you're, you're confused there. You don't know which one yeah, you Yeah, we are? talked about it a lot. Okay. So. Well, I, my original response was with Satan. 
Right. So most people, if we're sitting here listening to the podcast and I want to ask you while you're listening, where did sin originate? Who created sin? Um, some people are going to say that God created sin. And I disagree with that completely. In him, the Bible says he is perfect in all his ways. There is no unrighteousness. He is righteous. He is holy. It's one of those deals where uh, I think we look at it and we go, God created everything. Therefore, we assume God created sin. And we we bring this assumption that um, how... So the question is, how could God be uh, good and evil and righteous and unholy? How could he do all that at once and still be the holy God that he says he is? So one of the things that I was uh, listening to in one of the sermons, and I, I never actually read it myself, um, but I went back and thought about it and kind of pondered it a little bit, was uh, he was talking about Satan. So we're going to talk about where sin came from. So if you go over to Ezekiel chapter 28, um, verse 11, um, he's given, the Lord is talking, and he says, uh, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, uh, One thing you have to understand about the Old Testament is we talk about types and pictures. Not everything is what it seems. There's a lot of twofold meaning. So right here, the uh, they're talking to the king of Tyrus, the king of Tyrus. Um, and God's getting ready to describe the king of Tyrus and some of the attributes. He's, he's upset, he's angry with him, and he's getting ready to say all these wonderful things that the king of Tyrus was available were available to him and what happened. Um, the scripture here is actually, I believe, speaking to the devil. I don't know if the devil himself um, was controlling the king of Tyrus, if he was dwelling in the king of Tyrus. I don't, I don't know, uh, but I, th- these verses that are that come out of here apply to one being that actually exists, and it's not really a human man, and, and I'll point that out. Um, so in verse 12, he says, Son of man, take up the lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, so we're, 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 we're talking to a creature, he's saying, you know, you were full of wisdom. <clears throat> And you were created in perfect in beauty. And then in the next verse, he says, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So if this is an actual man, the king of Tyrus, that's probably, it didn't happen. Nobody was in the garden of Eden, but Adam and Eve and the serpent. The serpent. So there were three beings in the garden of Eden, but he's talking here and he says, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the car." Carp, I can't ever say that word. Carbuncle. Carbuncle. <laughs> Carbuncle? Yeah, maybe that's it. I'm horrible with these words. So anyway, he says the emerald and the, say it again. Carbuncle. And gold. So these are all his coverings. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee from the day that thou was created. So there's an interesting verse, right? We talk about that. I talked about that a little bit with you the other day, that it says the workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes, pipes for uh, musical purposes, uh, was prepared in thee from the day that thou was created. Satan is a created being. The king of Tyrus would have been a born man, right? So, uh, so here I'm thinking that the devil is, is really behind this king of Tyrus. He's really controlling. And while the Lord is talking to the king, he's saying, you need to realize who is controlling you. It's this creature that I created. It's these are the things that were in him. So in verse 14, and it goes on even a little bit more. So in verse 14, he says, thou art the anointed cherub. That covereth. So he's talking about an angel. You're the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. It's not a human, so that's an angel. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. That's interesting. Um, And I'll point that out real quick. It says that there are stones of fire 
pillars, basically, of fire on the mountain of God. I, I read that and I really thought, I wonder if that was one of the pillars that was in before the children of Israel, the Hebrews, when they came out of Egypt. Remember, they, they followed mm-hmm. a pillar of fire. So it's interesting that Satan walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He says, that was perfect in thy ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. So there, right there, that, that verse right there is where I think sin, I don't want to say sin was created, but that's where sin happened. Originated. Yes. I think that was the original point of sin, that that God had created this being with the ability to make choices, um, and but he had created him to worship him. The, de- the, the angels and the devil were, they were created to worship God. Uh, but he gave them the ability to choose, and on this particular instance, the devil decided that he was going to do something, um, which caused iniquity to be found in him. So verse 16 says, By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of the, with violence, and thou hast sinned. So there's, there's an interesting point. Therefore I will cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, old covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. He says, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. So he was, he was so proud. And this is really the, the, the pride. I think it's a, a prideful sin. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled my sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore, I will bring thee forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in sight of all them that behold thee. And they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee, and they shall tear, and, and never shalt thou be any more. So he's he's giving, this is a real broad spectrum. If you go to the book of Revelation, there's a lot more as to what happens to the devil at the end of the age, and it, it, it fits everything he says right here. Um, but it's interesting to me that we have this point uh, where the devil has this iniquity in him of pride, where he is he thinks he's so beautiful, he thinks he's so wonderful. Everyone, if you don't know the story, um, basically, and I want to sum it up a little bit, but basically he had been created by God to worship God, and he decided, well, hey, I'm the, I, I think I'm going, to over, I'm going to overtake him. I'm going to set my throne up on the north side of the mountain of God, and I'm going to rule heaven, and I'm going to be more important than God. Um, the scripture said he was able to uh, convince a, a large portion of the angels to help him in this war and in this holy battle, and he was going to fight God, which is just ridiculous. I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine something that was created by an all-powerful, perfect being thinking, I'm going to overthrow this God, right? So, um, and it's what kind of an attitude is that? I mean, it's prideful, but it is an absolute, it's a form of, when God wants you to do something and you don't want to do it, you're what? Disrespectful. No, it starts with an R. You went with a D there. That was good. It is rebelling, right? Oh. So it's rebelling. That was pretty good. I like those words. So it's rebelling. He was rebelling against God. God had given him a job, a task. Here's what you're going to do. And he got so prideful, he decided to rebel. And I think when you go back and you look at the majority we talked about, this is just talking about the music stuff because it's on, on my mind. But um, you go back and you look at that, the underlying message in majority of those rock rock and roll groups and records and music, not sound records, um, back in those days was rebellion. It was rebellion. It was rebelling against your parents. It was rebelling against your church. It was rebelling against your government. It was an attitude and an idea of rebellion. And I think that is the same exact idea and mentality that Satan in those verses when he's in heaven 
is showing that I don't need God. I'm going to set myself up and I'm going to be uh, more important than God. So we, we have this origination of sin, right? So we have the, the place where sin uh, shows up and we, we know that God and Satan went to war. So we know they go to war. Uh, and this, by the way, this episode is probably going to run a little bit longer than normal because I want to cover this as thoroughly as I can. So we'll do part one, part two. No, we're going to no, kill okay. it all in one. All right. So, and I'll try to keep it quick. <sighs> yeah. So, okay. So we got sin. We got the origination of sin. So now we're going to talk about hell. Where does hell come from? What's the purpose of hell? The scripture clearly states that hell was created for. Oh, Torment? Look. No. What? Oh, no. The Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. They were. It was because of this. Satan had tried to overtake heaven. He tried to. Uh, he tried to take over God's position. He wanted to have a, that throne. He. Uh, he had the war that went on. So God cast him out. Jesus said that he saw him fall from heaven and he looked like lightning when he fell to the earth because it happened so fast. It was just. Whoosh, he's down. So the uh, the angels. The Bible says that they were locked away. Those angels that with were with him were locked away into. A pit, a bottomless pit, and it says that they were uh, chained in darkness. That they're kept there, and they are chained in darkness. And I'm looking for so so we go we go to that point where God has created uh, hell for the devil and his angels. It's not it wasn't ever really created for man. Oliver B. Green in his sermon he was kind of going back to Genesis chapter one, and he said in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, you know, it doesn't say that God created the heavens, the earth, and hell. It, it was that God had created the heavens and the earth. Um, a lot of people, and, and all of this, all of this that happened with the devil in heaven, um, had to happen before Adam and Eve were created, right? And why was that? Because when Adam and Eve were on the earth, it was either before they were created or it was sometime during while they were in the Garden of Eden. It had to. Um, because the devil came to them while they were in the Garden of Eden. So he was already on the earth. So he had already been cast down at some point to the earth. Um, excuse me. Um, so he's he's cast down. He tempts them. The, they they fall for it. Sin enters in through all of life. The devil already had sin in him. That's what Scripture says. Um, and so then it spread to humans, and he spread his disease to mankind, which is really he infected humanity with sin because he was able to get them to be disobedient, to rebel against God. Rebellion is the root of all of this. Um, so he gets them, he gets mankind to rebel against God. So God creates a place for the devil and his angels where he's going to send them, and the Bible says they're going to be in torment and they're going to be in chains. Um we go over to some of the things I want to talk about too, real quick is, uh, Jehovah's Witness. If you're Jehovah's Witness and you're listening to this, you'll shake your head in agreement. And, and I really don't expect them to listen to this because they're really prevented from listening to any religious, uh, or shows or reading materials that are not from the Watchtower organization. But the Jehovah's Witness, uh, render in their Bible, um, the word hell is the word Sheol, which is an actual Hebrew word. Um, it, it appears in the Old Testament and Sheol means, um, to them, they say it's the grave, right? They say, well, Sheol means the grave. So when we talk about going to Sheol, which is where they say modern English was translated into the word hell, um, they say it just simply means the grave. It does. And in Hebrew, that's partially true. Um, Sheol in Hebrew does mean grave, but Sheol in Hebrew also means the underworld. It means a place of torment. The the uh, rabbinical Jews, the Jews, the old rabbis, they knew this. Um, you have to, and, and this is the whole point I was making about the Catholic Church and hell. Um, before the Catholic Church ever came into being, hell was talked about by Jesus. It was talked about by his disciples. It was talked about uh, by the prophets. It was talked about in the Old Testament. It was talked about 3,000 years before the Catholic Church ever set foot on the planet, before it even became a thing. So it was not created by religious churches and groups to keep people under control. 
Okay, that, that's not what this was. So you go back to the Old Testament, you see the word Sheol. Um, there's four words that are used in the Bible to describe that are translated into hell. One is Sheol, two is Hades, um, three is a word Tartarus, and the fourth word is Gehenna. Um, so these are the four words. If you go to the New Testament, the word Gehenna is talked about. Jesus mentions it 11 times in the New Testament, seven times in Matthew, three times in Mark, and seven, eight, nine, ten, one time in Luke. So he talks about 11 times. And he used the word Gehenna. And, um, and it's translated in our modern Bibles as the word hell. So that's the word they're using. Um, so the, the main point here is, is that the Old Testament rabbis, they knew about a place. King David even knew about a place. He said, if I, if I descend into hell, you are there. Right? He said, there's nowhere I can go that I can get away from you. So if, if he were talking about just laying dead in a grave, he would not know that God was even existent anyway. But he understood, even David understood that there was a place that the, the unrighteous went. There was a place that the unrighteous, um, they were going to dwell and abide in. So, um, hell to the Old Testament, they knew there was a hell. I mean, I think if you go into any culture and you look in, uh, any belief system and structure, there's a, a place of torment for the wicked. Everybody, it's, it's, it's not argued that it doesn't exist among religious folks, it's really not talked about. And people who don't want to believe in it are the ones who argue with you. So the Bible has a real good foundation to, for this belief that there is a place of torment and there's a place called hell. So, um, and I want to focus a little bit on what Jesus was saying. So Jesus talks about hell 11 times and he uses the word Gehenna. Um, and what he is referring to is the valley of Gehenna. It's, uh, I've got the Hebrew actually. Of course I do somewhere. I told you I had stuff written down. Aha, I got it right here on this piece of paper. So, uh, the Gehenna in Hebrew is Gibin Hinnom, which is, it means the valley of the son of Hinnom, the valley of the son of Hinnom. So when I was growing up and I went to church, I used to hear about the valley of Gehenna and a lot of pastors and preachers always use the, uh, well, they would say there's a valley outside of Jerusalem where the, uh, the people would go and burn their garbage and they would throw the, the dead bodies or whatever, and they would set it on fire and the dogs would come out and they would fight over it. And they would, you know, it was just a really bad place of burning and trash and all that. Um, but you know, through, I, I've done some research on it over, over the years, I read a little bit, um, and from what I read, that most archaeologists say that's, that's not the case. There was no actual trash dump there. There was no place to burn things. Um, so what was Jesus talking about? This is really interesting. So if you're, and you look like you're about to fall asleep, but I'm going to get you with it. So, <laughs> sorry, just... we are very Southern. We're from the South. Always remember that. Um, so Valley of, of Gehenna, right? So there's this valley outside of, of Jerusalem. The people know what happened there. And Jesus is referring to, and this is interesting because it explains it a little bit more. So instead of it being a place where they burn trash, it gets even worse than that. So apparently some of the Israelites were worshiping a pagan god, and they worshiped him down in the valley of Gehenna. And the, the god's name was Molech. So they worshiped this god called Molech. Um, one of the uh, rabbinical texts that was written at the time said there was a, a big altar there, and um, there was a, a, underneath the altar there was a big pit of fire. And the people who worshiped there at the time uh, were offering up child sacrifices. They would throw them into the fire. Children, they would throw them into the fire. Jeremiah goes on to mention it. He talks about laying waste to the Valley of Gehenna so that they won't have to pass through the fires of Molech. And that's what he's talking about, this child sacrifice that, um, I forget who it was, but there was one, one, one man who went down there and just 
destroyed everything um, because they were worshiping this pagan god. So when Jesus is talking to the, the people and he's talking about hell, what we call hell, modern hell, he's using Gehenna as the reference. He's saying this place of torment where they were throwing people into the fire, where people were burnt and where people were offered at, to this pagan sacrifice. The Jews understood this. They knew what that meant. They knew what happened down in the Valley of Gehenna. And so when it's translated into our Bible, our modern Bible, in those 11 instances, it's translated as the word hell, just a common uh, word we mean for a pain of place of suffering and fire and um, a really bad, bad place. So Jesus talks about that a lot. So we know that Jesus talks about hell. We do the book of Revelation. So a lot of people say, well, hell is in fire. There's no fire. So um, one of the things we, we look at, too, is the um, the parable. Okay, so Jesus told parables. This is... Uh, Everybody knows this? You know this? So Jesus talked in stories because stories, uh, it's easy for people to understand what you're trying to say to them if you can give them a illustration, if you can give them a verbal illustration, if you can say, you know, this cup of water is like, if I pour it out, it's like something, right? You give them a story, you give them a verbal illustration. So um, Jesus used parables every day. And when he used parables, it was uh, it was usually often instances where he he would think of something in a way to explain it to them, the sower and the seed and he, you know, things that made sense to them. He didn't often talk about specific people in his parables. Actually, I don't think he used anybody's name um, because he was just giving a generalized uh, uh, theology. He was teaching a doctrine, a general doctrinal statement. But there was this one time, there's one time that Jesus is talking and he's talking about a certain rich man and he actually uses somebody's name. He actually uses two names in this story. Most biblical, uh, most biblical scholars don't believe this is actually a parable at all. They believe this is an actual story that Jesus is telling of an actual event that actually happened because he's using people's names. It's not like he's done any of his other parables. He, he's really going out a little bit further um, in this story than, than others. And so we'll look at it real quick. I'll read a couple verses. Luke 16, 19 through 31. We'll go through that a little bit. And he said, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and, and fared sumptuously every day. So he was really nice. This guy was really good. He was dressed like awesome. So he's got the great stuff, the purple and the linen. So he's dressed well. Well-dressed. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, right? So we know, hey, there's a guy named Lazarus, which laid at his gate full of sores. After desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, and being desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. So Lazarus laid at his gate. He was hungry. He wanted something to eat. He just asked even for the scraps from your table. Um, and he, the dogs would come up and lick him, and they would lick his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So there's there's something in the Old Testament the Old Testament saints knew about. There was a place called Abraham's bosom. At the time, Sheol, which is the underworld, was divided into two halves. There were two parts. One part was the torment and suffering, and the other part was Abraham's bosom or paradise, where the uh, righteous who were justified by faith, right? That's what the scripture says in Hebrews, that their righteousness was counted, uh, their, their faith was counted as righteousness. They would go to Abraham's bosom and they would be with Father Abraham in paradise. They knew it was it, people, this idea that we die and we go to the grave and nothing happens is, that's not biblical. It doesn't exist in the Bible. The Bible is very clear that when you die, you have two options. There's two things that, that happen to you. You awake, uh, in hell or you awake with the Father. There's two things there. Um, so going back to this, let's, let's continue on just a little bit. Anyway, in verse 23, it says, and he, in hell, he lifted up his eyes. So the, the rich man who died, as soon as he died, he was buried in verse 22. He lifts up his eyes in hell in verse 23. Almost immediately, he lifts up his eyes in hell. Being in torment and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, 
And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip his, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. So he's not saying, hey, I'm just dead. I'm standing on. He's saying, I'm being tormented. I'm being burned. I'm in a flame. I'm in this place where I'm being tormented. And I need Lazarus to bring me some water. Um, if you go on and read the rest of the passage, Abraham goes on to say, we can't do that. There's a gulf fixed between the two here that no man can pass. And he says, Lazarus can't come over there, you know, and I'm paraphrasing a bit. And he says, you know, that's not going to happen. And the rich man just starts crying out, hey, I've got, hold on, hang on. I've got five brothers. You know, I've got five brothers. I've got, uh, he says in verse 28, I have five brethren. Uh, send him back so he can testify to them, lest they all come to this place. And Abraham said unto him, they had Moses, they had the prophets. Let them hear Moses and the prophets. That's what he's saying. It's been written. It's in the scriptures. And he's not even saying, let them hear Yeshua. Let them hear Jesus. He's saying, let them hear Moses and the prophets. Because when they when they hear that, they're going to know about Messiah, that Messiah is coming. And Jesus is standing here saying, um, you know, I'm here. I'm all the fulfillment of all these prophecies. I'm the fulfillment of everything that Moses said. They have that. They have the word of God. That's the main thing. They had the word of God. They ignored the word of God. The, the rich man ignored the word of God. And now in his suffering and in his torment, he's crying out, send them back, send them back. I need to warn my family. I need to warn my friends. Um, in verse 30, it says, and he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went up from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. And he's saying, wouldn't make a difference. Your brothers are not going to believe whether you come back from the dead or not. And I think, you know, I was talking to somebody today and I said, that's how, that's how we are in this world. We, we, we can't physically see it. We can't physically touch it. So it doesn't exist. Right. Um, I, which is kind of crazy because I don't, I don't, I've never seen the North pole with my own eyes. I've never been to the North pole. I've never felt the snow at the North pole, but I believe it's there, you know? Um, and so we treat hell, I think we treat hell a lot this way because we look at it and we say, well, I can't physically see it. I've never heard anyone come back from hell. We have a lot of stories of people dying and going to heaven. You know, uh, you got a lot of these kids who die and they come back and they tell you about Jesus and the angels and all the, the wonderful things and that everybody who dies is there and everybody's in heaven. Nobody, you never hear anybody saying, I, I, I went to hell and I came back and this is what it was. I mean, I think there's, I might've read a story about it, but it's not popular. It's not very Nobody wants to admit when they go to hell. <laughs> Wouldn't that be more impactful, though? You would think so, but apparently not. Because Abraham's saying, they've got the word. They've been warned. They don't seem to care. You know, I don't think it's going to make a difference. So we've got the rich man. Um, and I think the reason Jesus didn't use his name is because he described him and everybody knew the people who knew him would know who he was because he gave him a good, a good description that he was clothed in purple and fine linen and he was fair, fared sumptuously every day. This guy was very proud of himself. He was proud of his clothing. He was just, you know, so if he, if, if people knew him, they were going to know who he was talking about. So we got this story, uh, from Jesus, uh, where he talks about a man being in hell and being in torment. Um, again, I, I'll go back to say that Jesus talked about hell 11 times, um, Gehenna 11 times to talk to people, uh, to warn them, right? So the, and hell's, it's not only mentioned in the Bible. Like I said, it's in the, uh, Babylonian Talmud. It's in the Mishnah. It's in a bunch of different things. The, the rabbinical writings, the, the, uh, the actual Talmud, they talk about, it. I think even the Arabs, the, the, the Muslims, they even believe in hell. I know I'm not saying that confirms that hell is real, 
But I'm saying it, it's it's in our scriptures. If we want to believe that the word of God is accurate and true and perfect and everything, um, we can't just accept the one side of the story that it is there's a heaven and there's no hell. We believe there's a devil. We believe there's a God. We believe there's there's sin and we believe there's righteousness. So there's two sides to every coin. But when it comes down to this story, this idea that hell is, is real and exists, churches and preachers and pastors and teachers, we avoid this. Because it's uncomfortable. We don't want to make people afraid. We don't want people to... You should be... If you're listening to this podcast and you are not a believer and you are not a Christian and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, you have never been born again through the shed blood of Yeshua, Messiah, you should be absolutely terrified of going to... You should be terrified of going to hell. This is a real place. I told my wife the other day, if you knew that September 11th was going to happen, you knew those planes were going to hit those buildings and kill all those people, and you did not tell anyone, could you ever claim, could you claim that you love someone? Could you claim that you loved any of those people? Absolutely not. Um, one of the, there's a pen and teller. They're these magicians, right? Mm-hmm. There's a video of, uh, the, I don't know. I can never know which one's the, the bigger guy, not the little one. <laughs> Uh, but he's talking about the same very thing. He's an atheist, and he remembers a guy coming up to him, giving him a Bible, talking to him, kind of witnessing to him. And in the video, he said, if you believe in something like hell, and it is such a real place, and you believe it's such a threat, and you do not tell other people you do not love them, because the idea is they are destined for this horrible, tormenting for eternity, it's not, you know, and uh, some people I've heard, uh, some uh, religious groups believe that you are burned up, that you're burned up and you, you hell goes, once you're thrown in hell, you're burned up, you're destroyed, and it's over with, and you're gone. But that is not at all what the scripture says. Um, Jesus uses another verse in Matthew 5, he, he's talking about, he says, whosoever anger, this is verse 22, but I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without call shall be in danger of judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. So the idea that, that is, it is a place that is burning and has fire is, is, is all through the scriptures. It's, it's a biblical, uh, truth that hell is an actual existing place. Um, there's so much, and, and you know, this, we're 38 minutes, almost 40 minutes here, but there's so much about hell in the Bible um, that I don't think people even give it a consideration that this is something that is a real serious danger. You know, if you were to, um, if you think about people through history, right, you think about Hitler, you think, and I always go to Hitler because he's like the worst guy ever. Um, but if you go to, if you think about people in history who did horrible things and you think about where they probably ended up, we don't know. I can't, I, I'm not the, uh, I don't. I have no say in that. I don't get to make that decision. Brad Mason doesn't choose whether somebody goes to heaven or hell. It has nothing to do with me. But if you think of somebody like Hitler and you think, well, if I were to ask you, where do you think he went? You think he went to heaven? I mean, seriously. No. I, I seriously, in all actuality and reality, I don't think Hitler went to heaven. I don't. I, I can't say he didn't, for sure. But I'm, you know, I'm going to weigh that one about ninety-five percent that he didn't go to heaven. Um, I, I want to think that he probably went to hell. Um, those terrorists who did the, the attack on September 11th, who flew the planes into the buildings and killed all those people, they probably awoke when they died in hell, just like every other person who was lost without Jesus. It's just, that's the fact. And, you know, as a believer, and, and cause I remember I thought about this that, that, that when it happened and I thought, you know, how horrible is it? It's horrible what they did. They took all these innocent people's lives. They killed them. But it's even worse to think that that guy was so fooled and so deceived and so betrayed in his belief that he is going to suffer for eternity, not just 
10 years, not 20 years, the rest of his existence is in this hellfire. It's in this place of torment and misery forever. And, you know, I think when you think of it like that, it's just like, yeah, they were really bad people. But man, they just do not even know. People don't understand the extent of what they have signed up for. Um, and what, you know, it's it's the deal where uh, there's no, the greatest sin of all. What's the greatest sin of all? It's rejection of Messiah. It's rejection of Jesus. It's it's telling God you don't need him. It's telling him that his sacrifice was 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 worthless. It doesn't mean anything to me. Um, I think I, I told you one of the sermons I listened to this weekend really pushed through the idea and the, and the, the thought that I don't, I really hadn't considered is that Christ died. Yes. Christ died on the cross once and for all sin. We know the scripture says that he died for everyone's sin on that cross. He died for everyone's sin. He died for everyone's sin who was willing to repent. He died for everyone's sin who was willing to repent. He died for everyone's sin, but he only it only applies to those who are willing to repent. It doesn't apply to the lost person, right? So the Hitlers, the people who didn't believe in Jesus, who never accepted the love of God in their life, who never gave themselves to him, who never put their faith, hope, and trust in him. Jesus dying on the cross has nothing, applies nothing to them. So every torment, because I, and I, and I really believe this after, after hearing the sermon and really thinking about it, every torment that he suffered on the cross, everything that he had to go through, you know, the Bible says that uh, he was talking and they said, he was talking about Jonah and he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so shall the son of man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And when he died, that's where he went. He went down to paradise to set the captives free. Um, and he brought them up. So he goes down into even hell. He goes down into what was considered part of hell when he dies. Um, but you, you think about him being crucified and tortured and, and beaten and just brutalized for our sins and who we are and, then you think about the people who reject him and they don't understand. And, and it really came to clear to me this weekend too, is that you are going to bear the full weight of the consequences of your, your choices. You're going to bear that. And if you reject Jesus, then that sacrifice that God made, if you reject that, then you have to answer for your sins. And that means you have to accept the punishment that is weighed against you for your sins, which means hell is part of that. Right. So it just doesn't I don't think people really consider that. We know it's it's a beautiful thing. Jesus died for us. It's such a wonderful thing. But it only really applies to those who give themselves who answer that call of God. It only applies to them. It's not a broad covering. It's not going to take away. Oh, old death, where's thy sting? Oh, grave, where's thy victory? You know, that sting of death is going to it's going to sting somebody. It's going to burn somebody. It's going to it's going to. It's, it's just, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand how people could look at this. And, and this is really the problem I have with where, where's hell? What happened to hell? Why aren't people, why aren't we preaching this? Why aren't we talking about this? Well, you know, I've been thinking while you've been talking and I think a lot of it is any, any more now people want to affect behavior through positive reinforcement. Sure. As opposed to the negative reinforcement. So I'm, wondering if like that has something to do with it like let's just tell all the positives and make heaven look so nice and beautiful that of course you want to go there well, as opposed to quote unquote the negative sure. consequences of not believing but there's, right but there's and i think that works I, I i and i don't have an issue with that i wouldn't have an issue to say um yes we should talk about the positive we should talk about the love of god we should talk about the grace and the mercy of god but i don't think you can talk about the mercy and the grace and the love of god without talking about why 
there is the need for the mercy and the grace and the love of God. What percentage of sermons do you think are more skewed on the positive side of... Oh, it's if you talk about current right now, mm. it depends on what church you go to, but I would probably say... 90%. 90%. That was where I was thinking. Probably 90%. And even the other 10% only pop up around Easter and Christmas. And I don't know if they really pop up around Christmas. Probably more around Easter. I think the only time somebody's going to hear about the, the potential the for hell. Right. And that's really not even focused on hell. It's not, it's focused on the resurrection. Um, so I would say 90%, depending on denomination. Really, I think it really depends on the denomination that you're a part of. Cause there's some denominations that I'm pretty sure are still preaching hellfire and brimstone every Sunday. Um, I think those those churches are. But I think it's more of a generational thing, don't you think? Well, it can like be. Like the older folks, like they're more into like straight talk and telling it like it is. And if you step on that line, I'm gonna whoop that butt. And right, you well, know, it's, you're. That's you know now it's like everything's gonna be. Well, there's itching, there's itching ears. The Bible says in the last days there's a great falling away and that people have itching ears and they want somebody to tell them a story. They want somebody to tell them something that's going to make them feel good they, because people don't want to face. It's like I'm 42 years old. If you know me and my wife knows me well, I'm 42 years old and you would be surprised at how much of my life is spent on thinking about my life after this one. I spend a lot of time thinking about the consequences of the choices that I've made in this life. How is that going to affect my life on the other side? And when I look at it, I, I see time running short. I see that my time on this earth is running short, and I think about that. But the majority of people that I know and the people that I work with and the people that are my friends, they don't even think about that for a minute. They think they're going to wake up tomorrow. <laughs> they think they're going to wake up, wake up tomorrow, and they're going to be absolutely fine. And nothing's going to be wrong with them. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, we, we were talking about an article that we read today. I saw on Facebook. A woman and her children were um, brutally attacked by a man in a road rage, in, road rage incident who uh, followed them to a parking lot. He pulled out his gun and he shot the woman and he shot one of her kids and it killed the kid. Um, and the woman, uh, and you know, I doubt that lady thought when she was driving down the road that this is going to happen to me in the next five minutes. I think they were just going to a dentist appointment Yes. Or something. She didn't think that this is going to happen, that one of my kids is going to be dead and somebody's going to be trying to kill me. Because I think when things like that happen, it's almost like... In your mind, you're like, I can't believe this is real. Well, yeah, and we look at it. And so as humans and as people on this planet, we look at it as happening to someone else. It never happens to me. It's not going to happen to me. He's been smoking cigarettes for years. He got cancer and died. Well, I smoked. That's not going to happen to me. You know? Um, yeah, it is. Uh, I, they text and drive, and 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 they somebody had a car crash texting, but I can put my knees on the steering wheel and drive, and I'm absolutely fine. I mean, I saw so much of that when I was driving to Oklahoma this weekend, 3,000 miles in 3, 000, uh, three days, and I saw so many people texting and driving. You better know there's a hell, and you better be ready, because if you're texting and driving, you're taking your life in your hands. But it's, it's the point that we don't take this stuff seriously. It's not put in front of our face anymore. You have a few groups that are running around. You got these Westboro Baptist Church folks that are running around just yelling everything. So people dismiss them easily because they say, well, you're a bunch of nut jobs because you're too busy screaming and hollering. You don't talk about the love of God at all. All you talk about is how terrible we are. Um, in some ways I disagree, I disagree with a lot of the ways they do it. Not always what they say, but what they do. Um, but if you look at the prophets in the old Testament, the prophets, the majority of the prophets were running around yelling at the Israelites that you are wicked and undone before God. They weren't running around telling them, you know, oh, it's all overwhelming, never ending. Oh yeah. I was going to, you know, I was going to put reckless <laughs> love into this. So I, I think, 
you know, it's, it, I don't know. I don't know. And, and if it doesn't change, if, if it doesn't change, if we don't warn people of the outcome of their choices in their life, of where they're going to go when they die, then what is, uh, yes, we need to preach the gospel, go into the world and preach the gospel. But part of that is warning them that there is an enemy that we have who is trying to set you against God, who's trying to destroy the very life that God has given you. He's trying to take that from you. And when he takes it from you, it is a permanent, eternal thing this is not a 10 minute deal you know and and i just i don't think most people are convicted like no they're not well they're not convicted maybe like i am but the whole point of this podcast is to try and hopefully open somebody's eye up but but i will say it's i think people struggle having hard conversations in general and i would assume that would translate into pastors as well sure Uh, sure. you don't want to ruffle the feathers. You don't want to upset your congregation. You don't want to upset your your tithing base. You know, the day I got in the car with my oldest son and I I point blank asked him, you know, I'm worried about your soul. Yes, you have to ask. It was super uncomfortable. I mean, it was very, it was hard to make it come out of my mouth. However, my love for him superseded that. Right. And I had to find the courage to say, Look, I'm worried. You know. Because you were worried about what was going to happen to him had he not known. If he doesn't know. And if he was in a car accident and died, I mean, I would. Why didn't I say something? Yes. Why didn't I tell him? If I firmly believe, if you are listening to this and you firmly believe that there's a place where people go and they die and they're going to be in torment for eternity, why aren't you telling them? Why aren't you warning somebody? Why are you holding that into yourself? Why are you not telling your children? Why are you not telling your friends? Why aren't you warning? I'm not saying you have to go around and bust them on the head with a Bible and start quoting scripture at them, but doggone it, somebody needs to tell these people that there is a place that is waiting for them. And here's the kicker. This is the big kicker of everything. This is the great thing of, uh, not great thing, but this is the, this is, hell is not the worst. Hell's not the worst. You thought hell was the worst. Hell is not the worst. People, people, uh, you know, we preach it as hell is the worst, but it's not actually the worst place to be. Um, so I'll try and close it out a little bit with this, this idea, this story of how, how I see hell. So hell's created for the devil and his angels. It is created because of the rebellion that was in their hearts that they were going to overthrow God. They didn't need him. They were going to take over heaven and they didn't need him. So hell, uh, in the Old Testament is where the wicked went. Why did the wicked go there? Because they rebelled against God. They rebelled against his laws. They rebelled against his Messiah, who they knew was coming. They did not place their faith, hope, and trust in him. They're, they did not have any form of righteousness, and so they went to hell. They went to the hell fireside. That was prepared for the devil and his angels. The Bible says they're there now in the book of Revelation. It says that there's one... Um, it says there's one who comes down out of heaven like a star and he falls down to the pit, the bottomless pit. He has a key and he opens up the pit. And the Bible says as soon as he opens up a pit, that fire or smoke, I'm sorry, smoke is just billowing out of this, this pit and it's coming out of the pit. Now, if we, if we go back to what Jesus said, he said he was going to go into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. If you believe what the Bible says to be true and accurate, hell is at the center of the earth. It's just what the Bible says. He was going to descend into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. When he goes into heaven, the Bible says, who has gone up, who has ascended into heaven, but the one who has descended. So he has descended into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Hell is in the center of the earth. That's what the Bible says. I, people can argue that all they want, but I'm not even worried about hell. Hell, hell is the is the little little fish in the pond. Um, so if you think of, let's use this analogy because I use this one often when I talk to people about hell. Hell is the jail cell. You've broken the law. You've uh, been arrested and you've been placed in jail. 
Okay. Um, you're in jail and you're sitting there and you're waiting what? You're waiting your hearing, hearing your trial date, your judgment. Um, so you go in, say, say you've done something, you shot somebody, you murdered somebody. It's really a bad, you've been in jail. You go in and you see the judge and the judge says, we're going to sentence you to life or we're going to, you know, whatever, we're going to execute you, whatever it is. But in the meantime, we're going to send you where? We're going to send you to, are they going to send you back to jail, the jail cell? No, you're going to prison. You're going to prison. You're going somewhere even worse than the jail cell. So when you think of hell, here's how you have to think of hell. Hell is the holding place. When you're wicked and you're undone without God, God knows that. That is plain and simple. The righteous are sealed with the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption. So when they are dead, they are already sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're sealed. You've been marked. He knows that. Those who have not been sealed and have not been marked, he knows that too. So when they die, the Bible says, just like that rich man, they lift up their eyes and they are in hellfire torment. Now, is hell the worst place? No, hell is not the worst place. The Bible says all those who are dead in hell, in the sea, in the grave, in the earth, all those are going to be brought up for the resurrection. They're going to be brought up in the resurrection and they're going to be brought before the judge. And he says they're going to be set down in front of the judge, Jesus, Yeshua. They're going to be set in front of him and they're going to be judged according to their works and they're going to be judged according to where their name is written. Remember, I think we talked about this. Right. Their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if it is not, the Bible says, those whose name is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, he will speak words to them. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I don't know who you are. You don't have my Holy Spirit. And so it says, angels will swoop down, scoop them up, and cast them into... Lake of Fire. The Lake of Fire. The Bible says that then, after all the judgment, after all the judgment is done, that the devil and his angels and hell itself are cast into the lake of fire. It also says at one point, I argued with someone about this one time, they said, well, that's that's destruction. Anyone who's cast there is destroyed. And I said, really? Because the Bible says that the false prophet, who is a man, and the beast, who is a man, before Satan inhabits him, it says that Satan is cast into the fire with it says where the false prophet and the beast are. It doesn't use the past tense. It uses the present tense where? that they are in the lake. of. They're still there. They still exist. He's cast in with them. And not only is he cast in with them, but he's cast in with all those other people who did not believe in Yeshua and did not believe in God. And it says the smoke, and, and I don't. I take no pleasure in this verse at all or any of these scriptures, but in Revelation it says the smoke of their torment ascends before the throne of God forever for all eternity. That smoke is ascending before the throne of God. So if you go from a biblical perspective, I've got, you know, honestly, literally, I've got pages and pages of verses and scriptures and and subject things talking about the separation of sheep and goats, Matthew chapter 5, Luke chapter 12, Matthew 25, 41. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on. You can go to the, to the Old Testament, Psalms 9, 17, 31, 17, 49, 14, Isaiah 5, 14, Genesis 37, 35, Job 14, 13, Psalm 6, 5. I mean, there's just, there's so many verses that have to do with this idea that people who are unrighteous go to a place that is miserable. It is full of torment and it is the holding cell for their judgment. And when they get judged, they're cast into something so much worse. And the, the whole point of what happened to hell is, is that the church, and I'm not, not, I'm using the church in the broad sense. Maybe your church continues to talk about it and continues to bring the subject up. And it's not out of fear, not to scare people, but it is out to warn people because that's what it should be. We're talking about the subject not to scare you, but to warn you. 
that, educate people. Absolutely, because it is an absolute real place. Go, go, do some research yourself. Look at your, read your Bible. Get in there and search it. You know, and I encourage you to stand on the Word of God alone, because you know anything. There's plenty of things out there in the world. There's plenty of people going to tell you different things, but the Word of God is the authority on the subject, and the Holy Spirit can lead you into that truth to understand that there is something so horrible. I, I can't even imagine. Um, you know, excuse me. It says that the angels that 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 they left their first estate that are bound in hell are bound in chains of darkness. And I don't even know how to understand that. I don't even really understand what that it is. What is a chain of darkness? I don't even know what that is, but they're bound there in that chain of darkness. And uh, it's it just sounds like a horrible place. I mean, it just, I think Jesus, he used the Valley of Gehenna as a reference that they were tossed into this fire so that people would understand that hell is a place of fire. But then, you know, I think in the scripture in Luke, it says that there's wailing and gnashing of teeth, that people are in torment. Um, you know, there's not, there's no parties. There's no hanging out with your buddies. There's no, uh, you know, there's no playing an intro song when you show up in hell. They're not going to play your song when you show up like this is the UFC. Not going to happen. The Bible says those people who die and separated from God wake up in that torment, in that hellfire. And they know, I, I firmly believe that they know immediately. Even the atheist who dies and goes to hell, I think they know when they raise their eyes up and they realize they're in a place of torment, they know where they're at and they know why they're there. And, you know, it's it's not anything that we as Christians or born-again believers take any pleasure in at all. It is enough for me to say, you know, I've got family, I've got children, I've got friends. I don't want to see any of those people die and go to hell. I think um, the Bible talks about when we go to heaven that he's going to wipe every tear away from our eyes. So in order for him to wipe tears away from our eyes, there's going to have to be some some mourning. Some reason for tears. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a lot of us. We're going to be upset about our sins. We're going to be upset about what, how our lives turned out. We're going to be upset how we let Christ down in so many ways. And we're going to be upset about those who are not going to be with us. But at some point, he's going to wipe those tears from our eyes and he's going to wipe that that misery that we feel away so that we we know it's OK. I mean, we, we place our hope, our trust and our faith in him. Um, and so, you know, it's it's really up to everybody, everybody who's listening to this, everybody who um, who can hear, who has heard is to respond, you know. Um, so, you know, this podcast is it, really <laughs> you're going to you're going to throw some ice at me. So this, I mean, it's been a long one. This is, uh, I think we're coming up on an hour, which is long for us. Cause we like I said, we usually only do 20, 30 minutes on a podcast. Um, but this subject for me, I really felt like I want to know what happened. I want to know where it's at. So if you, if you like this episode, if you want to, if you want to converse about this, um, go on our face, uh, Facebook page, uh, the abnormal Christian and, and post some comments there. Um, if you want to talk about hell and what you think it is, or, or you want to ask questions, go ahead and leave some of that. I definitely, again, this is not the definitive, um, podcast for hell. Um, man, I, I mean, I really didn't even hardly scratch the surface on a lot of the verses and ideas that the Bible presents, but I want to, I just want to give you the idea the thought that this is something you need to consider. If you are lost and you are undone without Christ, I would ask you right now to think about and, and just, just consider for a moment, um, what Christ, uh, did for you and what that sacrifice meant. You know, he became a man. He left his home. He died, uh, in the flesh as a human. He bore your sin and shame upon the cross. His blood was shed and spilled for you. He was the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. He stands in your place and he is calling out to you and is your responsibility to respond to that. If God is calling you right now, if the Holy Spirit is, uh, pulling, if there's a tugging in your heart and he's talking to you and he's saying, 
saying, this is you. This is about you. This is where you're going. This is this something you need to change Then I want to encourage you right now to to drop to your knees and confess to the father and confess your sins before him and, and confess that, you know, you believe that you're undone and you're un, unrighteous and you're wicked and you're unholy and that you need a God to save you. Uh, to redeem you from your sins and your wickedness. And the Bible says that if we will do that, if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus, our Messiah, from the dead, that he will save us and that he will give us his Holy Spirit. He will mark us and we will belong to him. And if we do that, we get all the wonderful things that we so often talk about. We get the joy in heaven. And we get the, the wonderful time and experience of, of living with our God for eternity and living in his glory and living to praise him and, uh, to magnify his son, um, who this is really all about. So, you know, take the time, take this podcast, share it with your friends and family. Um, again, we are from the not deep south, but we're southern and people are going to like our accent to some degree. Um, <laughs> and my wife looked like she's about to fall asleep because I've gone on longer than I probably ever have. Um, <laughs> But this is the this is the podcast. So we thank you for listening. Um, any feedback you want to give us, we're willing to take it, uh, positive, negative, and in between. Outside of that, we will catch you again on the Abnormal Christian. Thanks for listening, and talk to you later. Bye.